0: Here's the host of the Talent Talk radio show, the founder and CEO of People G2,
1: Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And Joining me is I have two great guests lined up in the studio. We're going to change the format up just a little bit. We're going to have both guests for the entire time. Um, And as some of you know, or maybe in case this is the first time you're tuning in, welcome and Really, the way the show works is I have had the privilege of meeting some really inspiring leaders, some cool people uh, in sort of my uh, discovery of talent and culture. And everything. kind of makes me excited about people and and working environments. And instead of me being the only one to have maybe a a conversation about that, we decided to create this radio show where we can have this conversation, let other people listen in and contribute and and, uh, even ask questions. Um, And even that allows us to kind of record that and then keep that around so other people can hear that conversation over and over again if they'd like to. So uh, we are here every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you can access us uh, live. But most people pop in on the podcast after the fact. So we're on iTunes. You can hear us on iHeartRadio. Uh, there's several other stations that carry it later on. Um, and we've amassed a really great following. Over 10,000 of you a day are coming in and downloading one of the podcasts uh, from one of the various platforms. So big thank you to everyone who's showing up, who's listening, who's sharing. All that is really important to keeping the show going. One of our favorite things is uh, to get some interaction, and we love to do that on Twitter. So if you have a question for one of my guests today live, you can send it to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, tries to feed me in some of those good questions as we're going, and then we try to work them into the show. If it's after the fact, don't worry. I'm sure our guests, I know I would certainly appreciate any comments or questions you have on Twitter after the fact, and we'll still try to do our best to interact with those questions later on. So as I said, we have uh, two uh, guests here for the whole show. Uh, We have Herb Callahan, uh, Senior Director of Human Resources for Golden State Foods, back. This is his second time on the show, so happy to have him in here. And then he also brought along Ed Rodriguez, the Chief Human Resources Officer for Golden State Foods. So we've got the superpowers of 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 HR at the uh, Golden State Foods, which is a local company, but also uh, around the whole country. But they're located here locally. And uh, so we're glad to have them in here. And we're going to talk about everything we can around their company, HR Culture, but let's go ahead and, and get them into here, and I'm gonna. We'll start with Ed. Maybe you could introduce yourself, Ed, and tell us a little bit about your background and what you're doing over there with, with Golden State Foods.
2: Sure. Uh, thanks for having us uh, here the, uh, this morning. Uh, so uh, I'm a local product, uh, born and raised in Southern California. Uh, attended uh, Huntington Park High School, uh, UC Santa Barbara undergrad, USC Graduate School, and uh, received my PhD from Chapman University last year. Um, been in hr for 25 years uh, 16 of those years i spent with pepsico uh, east coast west coast mexico mm-hmm. covering europe left pepsico in 2011 to work for another local company called uh, ventura foods spent five years with them and uh, joined a golden state foods a year ago uh, in uh, july of 2016 so i'm responsible for uh, all of hr including talent management labor relations uh, total rewards and everything under the uh, HR umbrella. Right, everything under the sun. Yeah, yeah. and and
1: uh, Herb, of course, you introduce yourself as well and what uh, you know what you do over there and what you've been doing, also since uh, the last time you're on the show. Sure.
3: Uh, so I'm not uh, locally grown. I uh, grew up uh, right outside of Boston, a place called Lynn, Massachusetts. Uh, joined the uh, the military right out of high school. Uh, so I've been doing the civilian HR thing for about 15 years. I retired in 2005 from the uh, from the Marine Corps, uh, but I've been with Golden State Foods for about five years. Uh, just at my five-year uh, anniversary, uh, the end of July, I think it was. Uh, so I'm the senior uh, HR director. I uh, primarily oversee the HR for one of our business groups, the McDonald's Distribution Group, uh, 10 facilities, about 1,700 uh, employees. Uh, I also work closely with Ed uh, on our university. We have an internal uh, GSF university uh, and any other OD initiative that uh That Ed brings to the plate, which is a lot of great things we're going to talk uh, talk about today. Uh, Yeah, so
1: that's me. Well, great. Well, Ed, maybe you can uh, kind of start us off here with uh, talk about what your first year is like has been like with Golden State Foods. If coming from PepsiCo and Ventura Foods, I mean, you have some experience with. Uh, it sounds like in the industry, but also with really you know big co, you know, lots of employees. That sort of dip, which is a different realm for not for everyone that comes in here. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your the differences between the companies
2: and what you've seen. Sure. No, I think it's been a, an amazing experience. Uh, the receptiveness to uh, some. Some of the uh, initiatives and some of the ideas that that have been uh, introduced over the last 12 months has been surprisingly uh, uh, and refreshingly positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the time was right uh, in GSF's um, uh, growth story to... um, uh, look to uh, outside opportunities to build on the great culture that uh, that has been established. Uh, it's a great company. We refer to it as the best company you've never heard of. It's right. uh, six six billion dollars in revenue, multinational. Um, we uh, we have uh, grown from one customer and one point five billion to six billion and 125 customers across the world. And uh, it's just been a great experience to introduce some new concepts that are building on the culture and on our creed and our values uh, and this notion of giving back through our GSF foundation. So uh, I think I've experienced uh, some of that at larger companies. Uh, Ventura Foods was 2.5 billion, 2,500 employees. So I think working for a $6,000, $6.5 billion business is a, a, is a really good sweet spot for me. And it's allowed me to, uh, again, uh, partner with the folks who've built a great culture and introduce new concepts that I think are taking us to the next level.
1: Right. And if you get to come back and be local, that that, that can't hurt either.
2: Yeah, no, we, we moved around quite a bit in my career, and my, my wife said once our, our oldest child got to fifth grade, she was going to clip my wings, and uh, I, I had to figure out where I wanted to be uh, moving right. forward.
1: Right, yeah, I can't move them around too much when they get up that age. Right. Well, and this is a question for either of you, and maybe you both want to give us uh, your perspectives. Um, as we kind of look down the road, maybe five to ten years, what do you see as sort of that the landscape in, in employment? and how, how does that look uh, specifically for your company, uh, and maybe how it might change or evolve between now and then?
3: Well, I think one of the great things about uh, Golden State Foods is we're just such a diverse uh, company in the different things that we do. We've got distribution companies. We've got food manufacturing. Uh, So, you know, five or six different pieces of business. Uh, So trying to uh, look at the landscape and see how each one of those is going to be impacted uh, and making predictions uh, is uh, uh, probably pretty challenging. And I'm glad uh, Ed does that, and I don't have to. (laughs) Uh, But... You know we, we have some tactical challenges right we uh, we 're a distributor, so uh, there's a national shortage on drivers that we have to uh, that we have to uh, stay ahead of right uh, but one of the things we 're doing uh, you know our customer changes the workforce changes one of the things we 're doing well quite a few things we're doing to stay ahead of that is uh, really taking a different look at our past recruiting practices and, and changing things uh, recently we 've done a lot with the uh, with the military we 're recruiting with the uh, uh, partnering with the Army Reserve, uh, we're visiting Camp Pendleton, doing some recruiting down there. Uh, we've created a military advisory council recently, uh, so we're we're looking to get that up uh, and running. But just looking at our practices, uh, being laser focused on the things that work. No longer are we taking this kind of broad brush uh, approach to the uh, to the workforce, but really focusing in on on, on what works uh, and, uh, and 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 taking advantage of the successes there. Uh, I I talked about uh, uh, driver recruiting, which is a challenge for everybody, Uh, but we're partnering with driver schools, right, reaching out to the driver schools and uh, and looking at, you know, how do we recruit directly from the school rather than just, you know, the old-fashioned put up a sign, put something in the back of your truck, yeah uh put a poster or or a uh, a sign on your uh, on your facility, but we're trying to get out there and and really connect with where, where are the drivers where are the
1: type of drivers that we need uh and and how can we bring those folks aboard that's some really fantastic um jobs out there both at your company and other companies that are not in the traditional sense of what we think about right and so someone could go and become a driver or some other job. That is not the one that everyone tells them they have to go get. They have to go to college and they have to go get this one kind of job. And it ends up being more money. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that finally figured out <laughs> they could be making twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars 40000 more a year by going to this other job they would have never thought of, sure. or never done. And so is at some level, maybe in society, that will shift. But until that happens, that's a job you guys have to go out and tell that story and talk about the value of, of thinking about a job that may be... Uh, you know, no one, no one sixth grade teacher was saying one day you're going to be a truck driver, Sure. right? That's just we don't say that. We probably should, yeah. but we're not talking about that. So, how do you start to ch- maybe attack some of that 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 idea? How do you go after that?
2: Yeah, that, that's a, a wonderful insight. And and one of the underlying notions in what uh, Herb has talked about and what we're trying to achieve is is we're trying to expand the talent pipeline. So we've heard quite a bit about the labor shortage and, and the the pending uh, changing of the guard mm-hmm. from a generational. perspective. Perspective, and if you think about it, uh, I don't know the exact figures, but I think it's uh, about thirty percent of the of the general population has a bachelor's degree, ten mm-hmm. percent uh, has a master's, and one or two percent has a professional degree. Well, we'd like to tap into that seventy percent for whom yeah. college isn't an immediate choice right after high school, and uh, we consider ourselves at GSF a brick and mortar startup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have great jobs that that pay you know fifty sixty thousand dollars a year in addition. To to that, our value proposition includes a great set of benefits which includes tuition reimbursement. So we'll pay full-time associates after six months on the job up to $5,000 to go out and get their degree, go to mm-hmm. junior college, pursue their, their uh, academic goals and so it's a place that you can come, join and grow uh, and uh, you don't have to uh, subscribe to this notion that uh, once you're a warehouse loader uh, or a driver that that's what you have to do for the next you know 40 or 50 years. If that's what you choose to do we've got opportunities for you, for you to do that throughout the world. Right. If uh, you decide you want to advance your career, uh, we have places for you to go and places and ways for you to grow. And, and we're, we're proud about offering that opportunity to uh, to folks who, who think about joining GSF.
1: And, and those are things that you have to start thinking about. How do you get that message to those people? Have you started to find some ways to be effective at doing that? I don't want you to give away any recruiting secret sauce here, but I mean, are there things that you guys have started to develop that have, starting to see success to get that that job accomplished Well, i I
3: think some of the uh, in in uh, years a few years ago they weren't so traditional but now it's 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 the social media it's it's Mm -hmm. the linkedin right uh it's 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 twitter it's it's facebook so we're connected uh and just telling our story not necessarily going out looking to recruit that's the benefit of folks get to know who we are i think uh two years ago Maybe three years ago, we had about a thousand followers on LinkedIn. Now we're past twelve thousand, right. uh, just over the past couple of years. Uh, so they're really traditional means right now. Just the social networking and telling the story, uh, giving back. And uh, uh, mentioned our uh, uh, our foundation. I mean, it's something that's at the core of everybody in the company. Is this is this. Desire to give back, and we do a lot with the uh, uh, with our foundation, uh, and and just being able to tell that story helps us recruit. So, I think what we've learned over the last couple of years is we need to do a better job at telling our story because it's a good story to tell, and that's how we get folks. Uh, we get folks in. Ed talked about, uh, you know, if folks want to uh, join. We have a place where they can they can come and grow. Uh, that's one of the benefits of having such a diverse company and such a big company. Uh, there's just so many great stories to tell about folks that have been promoted internally, uh, folks that have been with the company for 30 years and now leading their own facility. Uh, so we have such a great story to tell, uh, and I think we're doing a better job at uh, at telling that story.
1: Right. Well, I know one of the primary kind of journeys you've, you've been under the HR umbrella is really changed the culture of the company from a competency-based environment to a performance-based culture, which is a pretty radical change and a pretty hard thing to do. So uh, how, maybe we can kind of break this up in a couple parts. Uh, maybe the kind of overall question on culture is to, you know, how do you really – make that decision to transform it where, where does that come from and why did you maybe want to make that shift
2: yeah i'd, I'd say it's a work in progress for us right? mm-hmm. we're we're in the midst you don't transform a culture in 10 or 12 months it, it's a right. it's a multi-year process not a
1: good culture in 10 or 12 months exactly <laughs> we can screw it up in that exactly. matter <laughs> exactly
2: uh no but I, I would say that uh for us uh it's it's uh, um, it's, it's uh, this notion that the world around us is changing, right. and, mm-hmm. and so consumers are changing. Consumer preferences uh, are trending more towards the healthy. Customers are changing. Uh, it's becoming more competitive. You see a lot of consolidation. You see a lot of focus on cost management um, and uh Uh, Future generations of workers are having uh, different thoughts around work-life balance and their expectations of of what they want to get out of that employment experience. So for us, uh, I'd call it more of an evolution than anything else. We're building on a great culture uh, that's uh, uh, really kind of centered on our creed and values. Uh, But we're also saying in order for us to compete, not just today and tomorrow, but in the next five or ten years, uh, we do have to put uh, uh, an emphasis on performance and metrics and KPIs uh, to balance out um, the the culture that we're trying to create and balance out that, um, that, that agility and that process orientation that we need to have moving forward. At the same time, we're also doubling up on uh, our investment in in development as part of that process. So there's a performance component, which is going to be based on metrics and KPIs that are going to help us stay ahead versus playing catch-up. And then within that, there's uh, an investment in the individual growth of our associates, Mm -hmm. which is, hey, how do you develop uh, professional skill sets for the job that you're doing today to help you do that job better? but also in tandem with tuition reimbursement and other outside development activities, how do you grow into other potential roles within our company as you think about your career over the next 5 or 10 or 20 years? So one of the things that I've talked about or or kind of
1: really advocated for is that people look at having metrics, right? How do you measure? How do you have metrics? How do you you know, right, whatever it is you know? Because I think for a long time people think they know what's happening, right? They make decisions, and now we have this incredible amount of data that we can pull we didn't used to have 30 years ago. So is that a part of the component to, to, to put in that performance-based culture, is to adding in measurement, adding in those kind of metrics so that you can see what's working, so that you can see who's who's doing a great job, who should be promoted and moved up and do all of that? Is, is that what it's about, or is there more to it than that?
2: No, I, th- I think it's about the metrics, and we have metrics today, and we had them in, in the past at GSF, so the, the introduction of metrics isn't is in- Something that's new. Uh, what we're trying to take a look at is is drilling deep into some of those metrics, and I can give you an example. From, sure, that'd be great. You know, companies can look at their overall turnover, and and I think sometimes the overall turnover hides opportunities. So your overall turnover might be twenty percent. But within that 20%, you might have high turnover roles that uh, in mm. the first uh, 90 days or 180 days, in the first year, two or three years, you have uh, 60% turn within some of those roles. So I think it's it's drilling deep into the metrics and saying, okay, let's right. not just stop at turnover. Let's understand where the pinch points are and where we have opportunities to explore, opportunities to uh, make a difference because these are customer-facing jobs, frontline roles in some cases, and from an H- our standpoint, what that sometimes does is it gives us an opportunity to uh, take a look at our onboarding process and connect the dots between uh, creating a, a welcoming environment for uh, for new associates, not losing them at hello, and really creating a great experience yeah. that's going to cause them to uh, reinforce their decision to, to join our company.
1: Absolutely.
3: Go ahead. I think I see. Just to uh, to add on to that, one of the things that we also looked at, we talked about where we have some significant. Not significant, but where's the turnover happening? Uh, we realized that with some of our, our frontline supervisors, we had more turnover than we than we wanted. Uh, so we went to the field. We got input. We said, what can we do? Uh, and one of the things that we've done recently, and it's really starting to grow some legs, is we've, we've built this frontline leader certification course designed for our first-time frontline supervisors to help uh, a lot of things, to help us drive metrics and increase uh, productivity, but to provide them a career path and some and some training uh, that may slow some of that turnover. And it's gotten a great reception, uh, and we're now starting to take that across the company. We've done our Midwest facilities. We're doing our Southeast facilities. So it's really starting to grow some lakes. And all that was based off of doing a deep dive, as Ed said, getting past the 20%, really drilling in where's that turnover and what can we do about it.
1: Yeah, because 20% doesn't mean anything if, you know, it's 5% at most jobs and 60% at a few other jobs, right? Because 20% is completely deceiving if right. it's, it's broken up into pieces. So, well, uh, it's fascinating stuff. We're going to go to our first commercial break, and we're going to come back and uh, keep keep diving into this topic on culture and everything else with uh, Golden State Foods. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break.
0: Visit peopleg2.com or call 800 630 2880. That's 800 630 2880 or peopleg2.com.
1: Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget if you've missed any of today's show, we'll have it back up on iTunes and iHeartRadio here in a couple weeks. You can also go to com anytime and check out past episodes. So. While we were at commercial, we were sort of talking a little bit about, you know, is this normal? Kind of the great work that, that you're doing at the company, and and we kind of decided it's not, right? There's a lot of things that you're doing, and so this is kind of good little segue into one of the things I was going to ask you, which is you know, there are some very positive things that you're doing here, and and so maybe you could talk about. That was the first revelation for you, is it kind of getting that story out, right? Sure. Yeah,
3: we uh, we realize that we don't tell. It's a it's a humble company, and, and uh by designing just by the, the style of leaders that are within that company, we don't go out and, and sell ourselves. Uh, so it kind of wasn't in our nature. Uh, and I think for me over the past couple of years as folks were coming in and, and I could see the excitement as we talked about the university or as we're talking about this frontline leader certification course uh, or increasing our tuition assistance or our partnership with local universities, folks like, wow, you do a lot. Uh, and we're realizing from, for, from an HR perspective, from a recruiting perspective, that's important. That's going to help us with recruiting. It's going to help us with retention. So we realize we do a lot of great things uh, to attract talent and to keep talent. Uh, to us, internally, it feels like it's the right thing to do, so it doesn't feel as special as it really is so that's the challenge with we've got to sell that we've got to talk about that more because it is special Mm -hmm. we do do a a lot of great things and we need to talk about it more you
2: know the the other idea that's that's driving some of this thinking for us is is really responding to some of the the changing um, dynamics in the workplace so uh, I think we have a much more mobile uh, employee um, workforce out there. Uh, it's, um, you know, We've gone away from pensions and 401Ks, and I think the new generation or the next generation is looking at their career as a tour of duty versus a 40-year uh, mm-hmm. journey. And so uh, one of the things we've talked about is that, uh, quite frankly, we we have to work harder to to attract and retain the talent that that we're going after, and uh, that's driving some of the thinking behind uh, the recruiting um, initiatives that we're uh, putting out there, the onboarding, the focus on training our supervisors. Um, There's a a whole employee employee life cycle, right, that starts from the attraction to the um, interview process, to the onboarding, to the quality of your supervisors, to the culture that you have, and we're trying to look at that whole spectrum and say, where do we have strengths and opportunities, and where can we invest our energies to make sure that uh, once we get those folks through our front door, they don't leave uh, out the back door.
1: So, you know, one of the, I'd say maybe difficulties when you're looking at data and you're, you're want to challenge some of these areas that have been problematic for you is do you focus on problems or do you focus on the things that are working well right i mean do you to go and find out why those frontline managers are staying what is it they like about it what is it that they're good at and or do you focus on why the other ones are leaving this is always a kind of depends on how you look at it and it's kind of a an interesting way but maybe we could talk about what's what's working right now for your cultural transformation what are some of the things that you know you see really going well that you're happy with maybe surprises to you
2: anything like that yeah i think uh, I'll, I'll answer with my perspective and then turn it over to herb it really is um, uh, trying to prioritize where where you spend your your energy because there's 99 things that we can go after (laughs) uh, but they're not all of equal value and so what what we found and again not not different than what you might see in the industry is there's really two reasons that that, uh, associates leave uh, uh, our employment. One is um, they have a bad supervisor, and, and the second reason is they weren't the right hire. They weren't a good fit for mm-hmm. our culture. And so what we've done is we've spent a lot of time and energy on that first one, which is building the capability of our supervisors. Right. And we have this uh, this this theory that if we get that right, um, that'll, that'll have a positive impact. In addition to investing in hiring the right folks and onboarding them correctly and appropriately, But if we invest in in that supervisor, that supervisor interacts with our frontline associates far more than Herb or I are the CEO of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, those supervisors represent the company and convey uh, everything uh, there is to, to know about GSF from, a, from an associate experience. So that's where we spend a lot of time and energy. Uh, Herb mentioned it with the frontline certification process, it's unique to GSF. It's taking best practices and really making sure that from a coaching and from a developing, from a communication standpoint, uh, we're spending our energy on the folks that touch our frontline every day
3: right yeah I think uh, so as we're looking at what works best one of the great things about having uh, I think we're 45 plus locations around the world probably 25 plus within the states uh, one of the great things and I shared this with Ed is uh, so it starts with the data right what's the data telling you there's an issue somewhere uh, and then look at one of these 25 26 locations who's doing it well and what are they doing right uh, one of the things that, and everything that that uh, that Ed, brings to the table and, the, and the, the things that we work on, somebody's probably already done it in one of our facilities and piloted and said, hey, that really worked well for us. So we look at the data, where are the issues, what's the data telling us, and then get feedback from the field, mm-hmm. right? Don't, don't, whatever you're working on, you've got to get past the data, you've got to get out there and, 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 and ask the folks what's, what's going on, what's working well, what's not working so well. And, and Ed and I take r- road trips uh, all the time just to gather data uh, back from the, uh, back from the field. Uh, so the, so again, the great thing is we almost don't think of anything original because somebody's probably already tried it. And we can mm-hmm. reach out to them and say, "Is it working well?" The other thing I think that we do well, and Ed does this uh, well, is the old appreciative inquiry, right? What can it be? What can it look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and why I, I look at recruiting, we we asked ourselves, "What can it be? What can we? What can we do? How can we make this better? What should it look like?" Uh, and really, just unleash folks' potential to go after it. Uh, So somebody's probably already doing something that works well, so let's tap into that. uh, And let's cause people to think and dream about what can it be, what should it be, and why aren't you going after that.
1: Yeah, and I love that because when you said, well, we went back to that one facility that maybe is doing it well, that's really like the positive dissidence, right, which comes from the appreciative inquiry, and uh, that's my favorite way to go out and try to figure something out who's doing it well, Mm -hmm. right, and what are they doing? Because ultimately, you end up finding like a personality type, you find a skill set, you find a process, you find something, and you go great that's what we need to do not not, re- replicate it and replicate yeah. it. not go back and try to change this or get rid of this person or whatever. you know do that first, and that usually seems to work pretty well, <laughs> <laughs> not always sometimes you have to come up with bigger bigger initiatives, but yeah,
2: well, we joke sometimes we we, we look for the bright spots uh, yeah. some people call them best practices, but when we have a problem or an opportunity we we look for the bright spots internally and externally and then there's a there's a really simple model that we follow we we go and do our due diligence and find out why it's working the way it's working and what those folks are doing and then we extrapolate that we we lift and shift and say okay where can we pilot this to see if we can Mm -hmm. uh see if that works in another location and uh and then we we take the eighty twenty approach we don't design a hundred percent of any initiative we right. design eighty percent of it and then we allow local uh, managers and leaders to customize uh, and localize the material so that it fits their own unique uh, needs so uh, we don't have one culture at gsf we have forty five subcultures uh, they're all branded under our Creed and valleys, but everyone operates uniquely so uh, I think that approach for us in the first twelve or thirteen uh, months has created um, pull versus push. So you, you have uh, you have folks calling Herb and I saying, can I get this, can I get that, or can, is there any way you can you know work with us on this project or on this mm-hmm. initiative? And that's a wonderful place to be in from an HR perspective where folks are asking you for time and resources versus you trying to sell them on an initiative that you think is important.
1: How do you as a HR uh, department then maybe... Make sure that your time, you mentioned it kind of a little bit ago, you could be doing 99 things, right? And maybe just the one or two things that are really going to be effective, they're going to give you that huge 80% push. So how do you make that decision on what's what's valuable to continue doing or to consider doing, and, and what do you push aside? Do you guys have a process or a way in which you think about that?
2: We have a framework, uh, and I'll start with uh, there's three components of our framework, and then maybe Herb can, can add a little mm-hmm. color commentary Uh, It's really, number one, elevate our talent acquisition efforts, and that's a broad bucket. The second is focus on process agility and technology. And the third is evolve our performance-based culture. So there's really kind of three broad buckets that our team is focused on. We've aligned that with our CEO and our senior team, gotten mm-hmm. head nods from them to say yeah, those are the three most important things that you ought to focus on. Now conceptually those three things have a number of tentacles underneath them. Of course. <laughs> but but if you ask me, if you ask my team, if you ask Herb, uh, if you ask our line, uh, clients, what are you working on? I-, I can always repeat those three things. And within those three things, if it fits within that filter, we're working on it. If it doesn't, we're not working on it. It has the uh, getting queue uh, for uh, the next cycle or the next opportunity to, to work on that. But I think conceptually building a framework around three key areas that you're focused on, uh, I think helps the organization understand, A, what, what you think is important, what's aligned with the business and our customers, and really uh, create some of that uh, pull that we talked about earlier.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're, you're, you're spot on, and we talked about this a little bit before coming over, this uh, uh, essentialism, right, doing the things that, that, that matter, that fit within that framework, uh, and are going to have an impact. Right, mm-hmm. so I think we we look closely, and don't we don't have to do a deep dive on everything to see what the return is, but does it fit within that framework? And if it doesn't, then let's. You know, maybe it's a 2018 initiative, maybe it's a 2019 initiative. It doesn't have to be done right now if it doesn't fit within that, that framework.
2: And there's, there's an opportunity cost for everything, right? I, I, any time I spend on one item, I have to give up time I spend on another mm-hmm. item. And right. the perfect example I can give you is uh, recently uh, I had uh, some leaders come up to me and, and to Herb and say, hey, we'd like you guys to think about a, a formal internship program company-wide. And we said, well, okay, in order for us to do that uh, and to do it right, we have to invest the time to, you know, understand what the issue is and best practices and design a system. What else on the plate would you like to fall off for us to invest in internships? Right. And we went through that prioritization exercise, and at the end of the day, they said, you know, you're absolutely right. That's something we can maybe pilot or test in a couple of locations, but from a broader uh, focus standpoint, maybe that falls into 2018 or 2019. And you have to repeatedly go through that process to validate and align with your line clients to make sure that you are focused on the most important things that um, uh, matter to our company and to our customers.
3: Yeah, so uh, saying no is not a bad thing. No, not right now is not not a bad thing. And folks recognize that, hey, they're focused. They're they're working on the things they should be working. That's why it's not a priority right now. Uh, So it's become a good thing, whereas, you know, traditionally saying no uh, may not come across uh, so well. But uh, if we stay focused and we work within that framework, folks know there's a reason we're not doing it right now.
1: Well, and it's great that you have that process in place, because if you have someone that comes to you that has an idea and has passion around it, you suddenly get multiple managers come and say that this was something that was important, how do you go through that process to determine that? And that's, it's really great to see that you have that in there, as opposed to shiny objects saying yes, when maybe you couldn't have done a good job, or B, just had, had said no, and then now they feel discouraged. You, you took them through that for them to see where that fits into the whole process, so uh, that's a bit of transparency, a bit of clarity for, for everyone involved, but I think ultimately keeps the, uh, your your particular department very focused, right? Yep. And I say the, the one other thing that we do uh, quite a bit is reach out and get feedback, mm-hmm.
3: right? Reach out to the uh, the leaders that are out in the field, and not to all, you know, 6,500 associates, but reach out to the, the influencers, mm-hmm. uh, the opinion leaders, and ask them for feedback before we uh, give something a, a, a hard no. Hmm.
1: It kind of almost sounds like you're getting feed forward there, right? You're asking what they what they need going forward, what they really yep. want there, as opposed to maybe feedback being more what what you guys have already done, right? You're, you're asking them for what right. what they want to see, kind of in the future, right? Right. Well,
3: and I go back to this uh, this frontline leader certification course. We call it uh, boot camp. Uh, those were operational leaders that put this together. We just went out and facilitated a meeting. What do you need? What are you looking for? What can help out? Is this really mm-hmm. uh, going to give you the return you want? And we built something around
1: their needs right and i bet you it was the boot camp was the military guy's idea right (laughs) (laughs) well you have so many kind of good things going on are there areas where maybe there isn't quite so much light uh that you're trying to shine some better light on there are things that are still challenging we talked about you know getting drivers and and there's some areas there are there other things you're ultimately thinking about that you need to put some energy around
2: well, I think we're in the midst of a, uh, a new human capital management um, implementation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're operating uh, with, an, with an older, a uh, bit antiquated system, uh, which can be a little frustrating to the HR team and to the mm-hmm. end users. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can't get to tomorrow quick enough. Uh, we're <laughs> we're going to go live on our new system, which is UltiPro, uh, which uh, we selected uh, earlier this year on uh, January 1st for uh, for payroll, for HR, and for benefits and that 's going to make a dramatic difference in terms of helping us become more automated and more paperless right. and ensuring that uh, the process or the templates or the paperwork doesn 't get in the in, in the way of the intent uh, when we talk about performance management and having a, a good crisp clean HR process around uh, talent management so uh, that's that's the only part. I, I think there's light at the end of that tunnel, but boy, I wish I could get there uh, sooner than later. Right.
1: Well, that's a big shift, and not only culturally, but just just tactically. I mean, just, just all the things that have to be, you have to manage one system, get another one up and going, and I mean that's. <laughs> yeah, we, I don't
2: I don't <laughs> envy you at all. We keep telling people <laughs> it's short-term pain for long-term gain. Right. So, right. so uh, <laughs> when we get there, it'll be a wonderful thing.
3: Yeah. Well, and, and folks are really engaged and excited. Uh, that's another piece of any initiative is, is keeping feedback uh, and providing updates. The HR team is uh, really excited about this whole process. Uh, and even though with any, you know, sizable implementation, there's there's pain and training getting together, and, and at one point we'll run parallel systems for a little bit. I'm sure. But just keeping folks engaged and updated keeps the excitement there.
2: I think our approach also has has uh, operated under this leader-led mindset. Mm-hmm. So our CEO knows how important uh, uh, getting systems that work for us and help us work more efficiently and effectively and, and how much that matters um, that project is co-chaired by myself and our CFO, so we didn't delegate that to a director level or, a, or an IT level or a, a, an, I, an HR level in the organization. We took ownership, and uh, this is uh, sort of a roll up your sleeves culture. So we're we're in in uh, the details, making sure that uh, not only are we managing through the process and the system changes, but that we're also managing through the change management that's entailed in folks maybe doing things differently than they have in the past, and not letting that go to chance.
1: Now you mentioned leader leg. Can you can you talk more about that?
2: Yeah, I think it's just uh, we we got early head nods on our framework and our priorities and our approach uh, from our CEO and uh, the executive committee, which is comprised of the top five or six executives at the company. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we started this journey 12 or 13 months ago, uh, we met as an HR team and we we uh, uh, aligned on what we thought the priorities were based on you know the history and the past and and the future challenges. And we aligned that agenda before we went to managers or supervisors of the field. We started with our CEO and that executive committee, and we said, this is where we're going to spend our time and our energy. Are you aligned with this approach? They gave us feedback, uh, uh, shaped that agenda. But once we aligned and and held hands and sang kumbaya, that was the agenda (laughs) we ran with. And I think that's made all the difference. Uh, Not that uh, the CEO is going to drive all of the change, but having the CEO and his executive committee behind uh, the framework that you're driving and the priorities that you're uh, you're putting out to the organization helps in terms of uh, uh, laying the framework for uh, successful implementations of uh, the initiatives that we're working on.
1: Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job of getting that initial kind of uh, really important factor, which is that senior buying has to be there, right? The organization at that level has to say yes. And then you have to get into step two, and we're going to talk about what step two is after this uh, quick commercial break here with uh, Herb Callahan and Ed Rodriguez of Golden State Foods. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. We're uh, proud here to have uh, Herb Callahan and Ed Rodriguez of Golden State Foods with us. Don't forget, you can tweet us at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Love to have you send questions, comments, make guest suggestions, whatever you like. But we were just talking right before the break about getting a senior buy-in, and they went out and got that. And then in my mind, the next thing is you got to get the buy-in of the people who are going to be using the system, that are going to be... Affected by the system and to get them really, whether it's excited or on board or whatever it may be. So, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. And, and as, a, as a segue to that, maybe you could start with how many, kind of reiterate, how many people we're talking about. <laughs> because you're a very large company of all, all around the world. Maybe, uh, maybe heard you could maybe kind of give us a better framework of how many people might be affected by such a change inside of your company. And then maybe we could kind of treasure some Ed about how that all co- kind of plays out. Well, uh, so the, the company itself, we're about
3: 6,500 employees around the world. Uh, the, the Reader's Digest or the elevator speech I give folks is that, uh, you know, we put product in 125,000 restaurants and stores in 60 countries on five continents. Uh, so you can imagine the workforce that right. uh, goes along with that. Uh, so this uh, implementation, this H R I S system that we're bringing in, uh, initially will be uh, for our domestic and our domestic uh, and, Ed, you may know the numbers better than I, I do, about 4,500. Mm, about 5,000. Yeah. About 5,000 domestic uh, associates, or okay. uh, HR team. Uh, we've got, uh, last time I counted the org, on the org chart, 50, about 55 folks mm-hmm. nationally as part of the HR team. Uh, uh, and then, of course, all the leaders that are part of that system uh so and it goes all the way down to the associates associates will have access uh to get their own information to print up check stubs to look at their benefits to look at their pay right Uh, all their data is in the system so it really impacts all
1: 4500 and and so ed how do you then get those people on board to want to do this
2: well, I think there's a concerted effort with communications and, and HR and uh, making sure, again, that we are aligned with our senior management along the way. So mm-hmm. monthly uh, conversations where we're talking to them about the progress that we're making and uh, the, uh, the things that we need them to do to ensure that they stand behind uh, uh, the initiative. The other, uh, the other super exciting initiative that I, I really do want Herb to touch on that I think uh, touches this uh, this change management cultural transformation is uh, the work that we're doing to update our leadership competencies, mm-hmm. uh, because I think that also uh, helps um, uh, illuminate how important it is not just to have the leader led uh, support at the top, uh, but how that uh, manifests itself across the organization.
3: Yeah, as we have we. Uh talked and you've asked a couple times how do you get buy-in how do you get buy-in not only we get it from the 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 senior folks but we were also out in the field all the time uh, getting information Uh, so we looked at our our leadership competencies uh, that we've had since around 2000 2009 Uh, we started with like 38 competencies that we've kind of grouped together under 13 uh, so uh, we looked at that and and we looked at it because folks were asking right one of the all the changes that we're talking about one of the thing that always strikes me is I think back why are we doing this why do you have this cultural change because our culture is asking for it right so we're not pushing anything out that folks aren't asking for because one of our one of our, our, our values is maintain the highest standards make the best products so we're always about getting better and and uh, I say that's one of the reasons that we're 70 years old and 45 plus locations because we're striving to get better. Uh, but we looked at our, our leadership competencies and took that to the field and asked folks, what do you think? Uh, we I, I don't even know how many facilities we hit, but uh, Ed and I did this, this roadshow. We hit about 150 plus uh, supervisors through general managers across all of our lines of business, uh, all around the country from the southeast to the northwest. Uh, and we We called them uh, competency workshops, and we shared our 13 competencies, added some other competencies just to see what they thought of that, and actually got feedback from all of these folks on what competencies competencies are working well, what competencies do you need now, which ones do you need in the future. Uh, And just to get that data, to me, I'm sure I shared with Ed, I said it feels like money, right? You get feedback (laughs) from 150-plus leaders in all different pieces of the uh, uh, parts of the company uh, it's just for me just looking at that data I thought this is fantastic this is what we need to do and we took that information uh, and, we, and that was kind of the, the kickoff to what the new competency model is going to look like what our new tools are going to look like all based off of feedback from 150 supervisors and above uh, and as we move through this journey uh, the one thing we always do with any process is we go back to the field and say what do you think of this what do you think of this Uh, So we'll go back to those 150 at some point. Uh, We have another group of about 20 uh, influencers, opinion leaders. Uh, We go out to them. Uh, These are the the managers, the general managers that are running facilities. We get their input. Uh, So the greatest thing for me about all these processes is you're getting real data uh, from the folks in the field that are impacted by it, which adds instant credibility to any process you're bringing back
1: to them. They know that it's based off of their input, so you've got that credibility. So as you're kind of looking at this performance-based culture that you're uh, ultimately trying to take to this fullest extent, it sounds a little bit, though, like your culture is about learning and growing and changing, that the change itself is a part of the culture. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, as I was saying earlier, I think it's, it, we're changing. We we're, we're,
3: we're have these initiatives because the, the, uh, the culture demands it, the folks demand it. They want to get better. Uh, they want to be held accountable. Uh, they hold us accountable. The associates hold us accountable. The customer holds us accountable. So there is this culture of accountability, uh, and part of that is is, is is getting better. So folks are looking to get better. So I think there's a constant look at, are these the right processes? Can we tweak it? Uh, I share with folks, hey, uh, I've heard quite a bit in the company, is if you do something great, good, do it again, make sure it's not a fluke. If you do it great a second time, then tweak it, make it better. And that's, I think that's part of our culture.
2: Uh, yeah, a lot of these things we were doing before, so there, there's nothing new here. I, I go back to uh, what we're doing is evolving the culture and, and, and fine-tuning some of these programs. In some cases, we're streamlining. In other cases, we're simplifying. Uh, we're making them a little bit user friendly, uh, but in this uh, competency workshop process that Herb has led, it's it's been tremendously rewarding. We're we're emphasizing competencies around people development, innovation, uh, change management, uh, data driven decision making. Uh, not that we weren't doing those things before, but as, as we went through these workshops and asked folks, what, do you, what skills do you need today and in the future to, to make sure that GSF remains ahead of the curve? These are the things that they said we ought to emphasize this and embed this into any performance management development process that uh, we develop moving forward, and that's been extremely rewarding.
1: Were there any competencies that maybe you guys identified that they hadn't seen, but maybe they went, oh, yeah, that would be good? I mean, there has to be some forward thinking by somebody. I mean, because I could say right now, what I need right now is different than I might need in five years. Right,
3: Right. so we presented them with, uh it's, it's funny, we kind of gamified it. We took our competencies, we put them on flashcards, we created a game board that, that ranked the competencies from most effective to least effective uh has the biggest impact, has the least impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then just we we put them out there in no particular order, gave it to them and said, you guys talk about it. You tell us what's most effective, what's working, what's not working, what has an impact, what doesn't have an impact now and in the future. So they told us. Uh, So we we, I think we have 20 competencies was was Mm -hmm. the total. Ten of them were the ones that we currently had, and ten were – that ed myself and one other person just looked at and we we each selected ten put it all together and said well here's the ten that we want to introduce that are forward thinking uh that more action uh oriented that uh, we think might be important in the future uh and we presented those total of 20 competencies to them and allowed them to go through the process to tell us what works what do we want to keep what do we need to add
1: right so that was the uh the the process well we're almost out of time i want to make sure we ask one of our favorite questions and Either one of you can jump in if you have a great answer. Is there a book that maybe you're you've been recently uh, reading, or one that you suggest that you might uh, share with us?
3: I think uh, I think I mentioned it earlier. I read a book called uh, Essentialism. Uh, it's about the discipline uh, approach of uh, doing less. Right, and it sounds on yeah. on, the, on, the, on the surface it sounds a little uh, like it may lean towards uh, laziness, but it's right. really about. Doing less and those things that you do are are doing them really, really effectively. So making sure that you're doing the right things, uh, as Ed and I talked about this, our our framework of only doing things that fit within the framework. So great book. I think it's by
1: uh, George McCowan called Essentialism. Well, sounds like a great book to check out. If it's helping you guys balance all of the wonderful things that you're doing at your company, I'm sure it's one that our uh, listeners might want to check out. Uh, how, what's the best way for people to check out more about Golden State Foods if they're interested in coming to work for you or learning more? What's what, what is the best place for them to go? I, I think uh, uh, GoldenStateFoods.com uh, is probably the best place to go. We've got
3: a beautiful website. Our communications team uh, put together. There's a careers page there, uh, so a really comprehensive website, easy to. Uh, find all the openings and
1: tells a great uh, story. Fantastic. Well, Herb and Ed, thank you so much for being on the show today. Loved having you guys here. Uh, you're welcome back anytime you want to come talk about all the great stuff that you're doing. And appreciate uh, you, you sharing with us today. Sure. Thank, thank you. you for having us. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the, today's show. Hopefully, you gained something that you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next week, my guests will be Dan Harris, Workplace Insight Analyst from Quantic Workplace, and then Ben Martinez, CEO and founder of Sumato Coffee. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today